The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Shall we begin? During his imprisonment by French authorities, Sadi Yassef wrote his memoir about his time as an Algerian freedom fighter. His story is encapsulated within a script that also features a French perspective on the conflict, and the resulting film comes to theaters in 1966. I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. No less a personage than Stanley Kubrick once said that you really can't understand what cinema is capable of without seeing the Battle of Algiers, and that's the topic of this episode of Spies Like Us. So this was an interesting find for us, and I want to talk about just a little bit about like why we're doing this movie. Uh, our last movie that we covered was... Um, the day of the jackal and not so much from what I saw in the film, but just doing the research on some of the things that were like behind the events of that film really got me psyched up about trying to learn more about the SDECE. And that's, um, we'll talk about them in a second. Dave, Dave, you brought this movie up, uh, because why? I was reading this book called tonight. We bombed the U S Capitol. Um, it was about M19, which is uh, the first uh, all-women terrorist organization. They were kind of an offshoot of the Weatherman Group and the BLA. Um, and uh, the book mentioned the Battle of Algiers. The author had talked about it, that they had learned a lot of their, uh, I guess, terrorist craft from the Battle of Algiers. And the author also mentioned that both uh, like insurgents and terrorists, as well as government um, security officials look to this film as like a reference for like, this is how you do it. And since, you know, last time we did our anniversary episode, but before that we did the day of the Jackal and that was another, this is how you do it type of movie. There's tons and tons of stuff to look at as, uh, from a tradecraft perspective. Okay, cool. Let's get into it. Uh, this is a 1966 film it is his, very historic. We're going to talk about the detail of uh, the historic nature of this film uh, in, in the events that it portrays, uh, with the exception that some of the characters uh, have been renamed and some characters might be amalgams. I've never been a hundred Amalgams. Sure. Amalgams. Uh, amalgams. I like that. Yeah, let's go with that one. <laughs> um, of, of historic figures. Uh, featured agencies, we're going to see the FLN, which is uh, the Algerian National Liberation Front. The French counterinsurgents are never identified except as paratroopers, which is a little weird because they don't actually do any paratrooping in this <laughs> film. But I guess maybe that, I mean, they did some paratrooping during World War II, maybe. Or maybe it's just to signify that they are, like, the elite of the French fighters. Now, the SDECE, based on what I've read on Wiki, I am so keen to find more movies that, that deal with these guys. This is the French intelligence agency that rose from the... World War II French resistance versus Hitler. Between World War II and our uh, events here, 
which I think start in 1954-ish. Pretty sure that's right. Um, they're said to have done all sorts of like really shady like stuff, like the kind of stuff we we hear about like in our worst Cold War stories about CIA bullshit. Like these guys sound like that plus a slice of right. apple pie. <laughs> or, or, or I guess a crepe in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A crepe a la mode. <laughs> they don't get explicitly named in the film, but I think that if you, uh, you know, if you do your research on this period of history, we have to assume that they're like heavily involved in this stuff. So Sadi Yasef, an Algerian FLN military commander who uh, was literally involved in the events of his films. He wrote his memoir on which the film is based while he was a French prisoner. After independence, he became a leader in the new Algerian government. And in fact, he's currently, uh, he's still like currently in the government as a senator. He plays the, the character Jafar in this film, who is kind of the character that gets our, I guess, protagonist Ali Lapointe uh, into in like drafts him into the resistance. Um, it's not a hundred percent clear how much the character is supposed to be based on the real person, but you follow me so far, right? Yes, absolutely. So the guy who did the shit wrote a memoir and then a film was made about it. And then he got to play like a version of himself as an actor in the film. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Right. You don't really get that. Anytime like a memoir is adapted, you don't get the actual person. Or yeah. And it's possible they might that get a cameo. It's... I know Tony Mendez was like an extra somewhere in uh, Argo. The Tony Mendez thing is, is a great, um, is a great way to think about it. It's almost as if like, if, if Tony Mendez had just been renamed as Frederico Sanchez, uh, right? <laughs> um, then you know maybe it's just to distance himself. Maybe it's for legal reasons. Maybe it's because he's in politics. Or well, yeah, it's possible that everything we see is you know it's just a renaming of the character or and it's possible that some of the things are actually slightly different than what actually happened in history but only slightly most of the characters are uh literally like just named as like they're just the names of the people that were actually involved so maybe enough about him um uh Ali Lapointe he's a historic figure uh as well as um Ben, now this one's, some of these names are tough for me, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, ben Mahidi, I'll spell it out too. It's uh, Ben, last name is M apostrophe H-I-D-I. And that's the guy that was another one of the resistance leaders. That's the guy we see that was supposedly uh, committed suicide in in the film in, uh-huh. in French prison, but we have some doubts about that. That actually right. happened. One of our main amalgam characters is played by Jean Martin. And this is a theater actor who had lost his job. He'd been like 
kicked out of, I don't know, the, the actors guild or something because he had signed the manifesto of the 121, which was like a, a big thing of like people in France coming out against the Algerian war and decrying French colonialism. Martin himself uh, was a veteran. He served in a paratroop regiment uh, during the Indochina war uh, where France was involved over there in Vietnam. And, you know, he had come up again in the French resistance in world war two. So uh, he's got, I mean, he's a perfect actor for the role that he plays as kind of like our uh, villain with quotes around it. But be careful. Well, he's the antagonist. Yeah, like, this movie is yeah, definitely we... all about shades of gray. Yeah, and like, no, Jean Martin is our boy from the day of the jackal. <clears throat> so that's another reason we wanted to pick this up because uh, uh, there's quite a bit of overlap for this specifically the character in day of the jackal he's kind of a minor character that jean martin plays and even though like it's definitely not uh you know meant to be the same guy that we see in this movie the battle of algiers it's a it's he's playing a fictional character that very well might have gotten to where he is in life after going through the events of battle of algiers which again overlaps maps really nicely over the actor's yeah personal experience itself um, absolutely yeah crazy cool the three women in the film that we're that we're about to talk about the 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 bomber ladies uh, yeah. They're also, I was surprised to find like actual, every single one of them, historic figures. You can look them up on Wiki. Um, you know, the movie constantly reminds you what day it is and, mm-hmm. and even what time of day it is. And as far as I can tell, it at least 95% maps onto the historical record. Um, you brought up a lot of that uh, when, when we were discussing uh, you know, pre-recording stuff, and uh, I, I looked into it as well. And yeah, it's it's crazy accurate. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of <laughs> cin- cinematic uh, freedoms that's taken. Uh, you know, as far as shots go, but as far as events that happen, it, it's like pretty much down to the T. It's it's really it's really interesting. Like you don't really see that a lot in historical films. Yeah, the film is, it turns out, uh, you know, amongst, like, film nerds and historians, this film is, I mean, it's almost like, um, makes me nervous tackling this topic once I found out just how much this movie, like, means to film historians uh, in in its documentary-ish kind of style. Uh, apparently, I guess that was something, it's an Italian film, by the way, but apparently that was like a, a, a movement in Italian cinema at the time. Uh, there are tons of directors that, uh, will cite this movie as just being like incredibly important in the development of the art of cinema. Uh, number one, I mean, Stanley fucking Kubrick once told an associate that you literally cannot understand film unless you understand the battle of Algiers. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Um, apparently, like it's just one of his one of was one of his favorite films. Uh, the Criterion Collection DVD include conversations with uh, people like Oliver Stone, Steven Soderbergh, and Spike Lee. And oh, again, got to cop that. Then you alluded to earlier uh, the fact that um, I mean, like in 2003, it was reported that the Pentagon had offered a screening of the movie as um like almost like a train not a training video i guess but an example a jumping off point for conversation for really talking about insurgency and counterinsurgency and it's not just the pentagon uh we see reports like all over the place where um you know just uh department departmental heads around the world that kind of have to deal with these issues of insurgency and counterinsurgency. Um, they all know this movie like by heart. It's just, it's just that it's considered that important. It's crazy. Crazy. I, I definitely can see why there's, there's tons of things that you can pull both mistakes and success, successful things, both on insurgents and counterinsurgents. So it's a, uh, it's a big deal. Uh, I would I would say as a study piece. Now, one thing I, I I have to say about the film and and you know the research on it is uh, everywhere you look, it's stated that nobody in the film except Jean Martin is a professional actor, which I found very difficult to believe watching. The right? Film. <laughs> don't you don't you agree? I mean these. These people really Absolutely. seem to know their shit. Um, yeah, they hit their marks quite a bit. Um, uh, I mean, if, I mean, for the time, you know, what I mean, it it's kind of hard because I mean, like, you can't really compare, you know, the apples to oranges to like what we would think of acting now. But if you think of the time when the film came out, uh, it's it's got that like very classic film type of dialogue and shot, you know, uh, progression. And also um, they're filming in Algeria where like so many of the people like don't have, at least in 1966, don't have like a, a strong tradition of filmmaking, you right. know, and, and acting on, on screen. But I, what, what I read was like uh, a lot of times he would just, he would just make them do like 20 or 30 takes and just aggressively like run out that, you know, just so much film and, and just take the best, the best parts. And even to the point where he would, um, uh, you know, like a lot of it looks, um, to us, at least the version we looked at, like a lot of it looks dubbed. Um, but that was apparently in the original version because, you know, like sometimes he would just like the, the line reading from one take but the performance of another take. And so he would just like dub it over onto that. Um, Oh, that's interesting. But now did you, when you found out that they were not professional actors, did they have military or insurgent or terrorist or revolutionary uh, type of um, experience? Cause that might be something they could have drawn off of and why they looked so well 
Well, that's, I think, what's so interesting about the casting of Jean Martin and Sadi Yasef. Those two guys in their real life had gone through, in, in Sadi's example, he'd gone through literally lived through this movie. And right. in the case of Jean Martin, he had led a life and a, and a military career that very closely maps onto the character that he's playing. Yeah. It's, I'm wondering if they had so much life experience, um, you know, like uh, it, it, it really just translated very well to the screen as long, as long as they got, I'm sure they got trained on like hitting their marks type of, thing, you know, like we say, like it's different when you're acting for a camera versus like on stage. Sure. So sure. I'm sure. sure. I, I'm sure they got a little bit of training for hitting their marks, but in general, drawing out that character, which is what actors are trying to accomplish. I'm sure they had so much personal experience. It, it, it made it easier for them. Definitely. And as far as like asking these non-actors to do, like I said, like sometimes 20 or 30 takes, uh, I think really just, well, you know, who knows how much they were paid for it. Uh, but I think really just speaks to the, you know, these uh, civilian Algerians that are being pressed into, uh, you know, acting in this movie that they just really had so much commitment to wanting their story to be told that they were just putty in the director's hands. You know, they would, they would oh, just right, do yeah. anything. Um, yeah. Apparently, like I was... I mean, I, I want to talk really quick about the crowd scenes in this movie, which are fucking amazing. And yeah, absolutely. If it's hard you, to do that in a film. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and given that none of them have any experience, like it's it's even harder to imagine. But uh, I read in on it a little, and I guess like uh, they just like they wrote every like they drew all the lines of where everyone's supposed to move in chalk on the ground and then just, you know, kept the camera level so you couldn't see that. Right. Um, yeah, uh, it's it also it also, you know, OK, so we we mentioned that the film has a, an astonishingly documentarian feel. And one of the things I noticed on my on my second watching of the film, you know, as far as these people not being professional actors, I noticed like you do see a lot of people that are looking at the camera, which, you know, you're not supposed to do right. in a film, right? You're supposed to say, uh, Cut! Well, I mean, yeah. you know, get that, get <laughs> that person out of here. Fuck, fuck right. him. <laughs> um, but they they leave it in and it it really adds to the documentary feel because in a you know when when there's a camera there you know you look at it <laughs> yeah absolutely especially like in a big crowd um you know and, and it, you'll you'll get a lot, like if you ever look at like documented footage of stuff there's always someone looking at the camera like oh there's a camera uh yeah yeah, like and the dogs at the dog show that when you get the hunting group, they can spot the cameras in the whole building, and they always make a crack about it. You know, 
the film the film didn't get released in the U.S. Uh, until a couple years later, I believe. But um, at the time of that theatrical release, uh, it was actually felt necessary to to add a title card at the front explaining to people that this is not a documentary (laughs) because it (laughs) looks so much like one. Yeah. It was filmed in black and white, which was a choice because color was around then. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I read. Yeah. Um, And uh, you know, like for, for film, uh, I guess majors or people that are trying to do film, this is definitely a good study for shooting, especially since, you know, such like milestone directors have mentioned it. Uh, but th- there's a lot of interesting style to it. And, you know, anybody that's really in a classic film would probably enjoy this a lot. So don't just take this as just a tradecraft uh, document, but also there's a lot of interesting filmmaking to be had. But other than that, let's, let's definitely get in the tradecraft. Cause I'm like, <laughs> like uh, squirming in my seat about this. <laughs> Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. The film starts with kind of a jump to the future. um, Where there's a guy being tortured and gives up a name. And and we find out later it's Ollie's location. uh, And then the film kind of takes a step back to show the story of Ollie. But um, one of the things I really liked was uh, they didn't really show too much of the interrogation or like the beating in the interrogation. Oh, right, right. They just showed like the the like the outcome, the confession. Yeah, Yeah. it start. It kind of opens with the confession, and you know this plays to kind of Todd's point that uh, it's hard to believe these aren't actors because the guy looked really, really like despairing. And just like guilty and hates himself that he just confessed, uh, you know, information about. I his might brother. use the word he, tortured. This person does not like themselves at this point. Like uh, at this point, they just sold out their brothers. Um, and uh, one of the things I really wanted to talk about, just for like real tradecraft, is this thing in interrogation. Like once this confession moment has happened. Um, there's a thing about building up uh, um, like esteem, like you did the right thing. Don't worry, the hard part's over. Blah blah blah. Um, so uh, it, it's kind of like a thing of confession sadness. So not only did this actor really portray the like guilt, like uh, I just sold out my brother, and they look like they just got the shit beat out of them, you know. Um, but uh, just the fact that in the film, it, the film just starts with, oh, uh, deal with confession sadness. I'd like to jump in, too, and, and mention that, like, you know, again, even though we didn't see the torture itself, uh, you know, a lot of the French soldiers that supposedly, like, participated in the torture, they're very, they actually seem very um, forthcoming in their emotional relationship to him in trying to comfort him and say like hey don't worry about it man you did the right thing you did the right thing the hard part's over yeah right like (laughs) you 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 know because they've done this before and and they actually they're they're not doing it because they love doing it 
not because they're sadists, but because they're right. fucking job and they've done it before right. and they've seen this, what you're talking about, this confession sadness right. uh, before and, and their natural human impulse kicks in to try to comfort him as best yeah, they can. They give him some water or whatever. I within, don't know what they gave yeah, him a drink. With, within yeah. the limits of their orders. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So we go back in time, though, to uh, 1954. It takes place in the Kashba, which is like the Muslim quarter of the city of Algiers, the capital of Algeria. You know, when I heard it, I, like my only thought was like, "Oh, rock the Kashba." Right, uh, but right, right. Apparently, apparently, like it's like kind of like a a, a saying or like an idiom, I guess, of of just like you know, this type of area. Right, but this is uh, like. It's kind of like the valley uh, that right. we live in, right? Like, I mean, there are many valleys on the planet Earth, but there's only one, the valley, and that's right. you know, that's the one. 818. Yeah. Fuck Silicon. <laughs> 818. San Fernando. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're the <laughs> valley. And right. in the same way, there, there are, there are many, there are, are many Casbahs, but there's only one the Casbah, uh, and that is the Muslim quarter of the city of Algiers, which is the capital of Algeria and where our movie takes place. Uh, we meet our protagonist Ali, starting out a little origin story, I guess. Uh, yeah. Starts out as a petty criminal. He's running a three card Monty. You know, the cops come after him like they do, you know, when they see, I, I don't know. I don't know what the fucking, I've never actually understood what the cops problem is with uh, three card Monty games, but in every movie I've ever seen, <laughs> the cops are like, no, you can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, they're probably running a racket. You know, three card Monty is known for one of those like fake gam gambling things. And you're taking away from official gaming, and those guys are not a, a group of people to mess with. So they're definitely going to sick the 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 beat cops on them, type of thing. Um, right. And usually, usually, my understanding is that like the cop is in on it, or like it's as soon as someone catches on and actually starts winning. That's when someone that you have planted in the crowd says, oh, shit, the cops are coming. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's how you, you know, you escape from, like, actually starting to lose money from someone that's on a hot streak or is caught on to, like, how you're actually manipulating the cards. Uh, but in this case, it looks like, like the cop interest is legit. Ali would have gotten away. But he gets uh, tripped by a pretty boy Frenchy douchebag, kind of like a oh. That guy looked like such a douchebag, like <laughs> yeah. best casting ever. Central no casting, central no. casting. I need a, I need a, I need a French frat boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, guy, that guy looked more douchey than K-pop in our Samurai Spy episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, but that's that like, was that was a nice way to show like that uh, shot, like just uh, introduces you very early into the underlying racism, like right. uh, yeah, between the Muslims and the French, and, and, and then Ali years. just jumps straight up and like headbutts the guy, best headbutt ever. It's a fucking great headbutt. Yeah. 
you know, now in prison, he kind of becomes radicalized uh, after, you know, he's looking out the window and there's like a whole movement and they're bringing out the guillotine, which is like one of the best French tropes ever, like, or like any type of uprising, like we're bringing out the fucking guillotine guy. Yeah. Like, I loved it. Um, but yeah, I the, remember the shots- too, though, like when, when we were watching the film, like we were both like, wait, holy shit. Like we would have thought that the French would have a very negative, uh, cultural relationship with the guillotine so we were we were surprised to see that executed well this is italian made right it is yes it is but i mean they're reflecting french sensibilities and oh, well, oh i see i see i person i personally I, I i mean i take the movie's word for it uh but i was just really kind of shocked like you know i'm not french but i would have thought that a French person in, you know, or French troops in 1966 would be like, you know, yeah, that guillotine thing. Like, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a, it's a crazy good scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie too. Uh, and not for the fact of the beheading itself, which we don't directly see, but that the camera shows us, you know, it's like an interior courtyard of the prison and the camera chooses to focus on the walls and all the hundreds of windows that we don't get to see the observers, you know, but we know mm-hmm. that they're watching and, right. and, and the movie is telling us like that they have no voice. They, they're watching what happens but they don't get to say anything about it or we don't get to see them or see their reactions. I thought that was like a, just a masterful um, little piece. Yeah, it was really well shot. Uh, not that powerful, shot, powerful shot in expert. a surprising way. Yeah. But like, you know, like when Plinkett says like you're being fed information, whether you know it or not. And it, it, it is very powerful. Um, five months later, Ali gets released, uh, and our uh, little Omar comes and uses a code phrase to kind of recruit him. Um, we want to give plus spy points on this, and especially me on this, because we don't get to see a lot of targeting in spy films. Uh, they'll, like, mention it. Like, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, this guy's kind of perfect. But um, I think it was really well developed because targeting is really important in recruitment. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, for something like this where, you know, you're uh, an insurgent organization or a revolutionary organization or a terrorist organization, getting the guy that's down on his luck, uh, who's out of prison, who, you know, is going to like skirt the law or even break, you know, and possibly could have some sort of radical ideas or, you know, a young idealistic type of adolescent possibly, or just out of adolescence, you know, per- perfect targeting. I, I, I really liked that uh, Ali was our protagonist because we, we got to watch like the progression of his entire life throughout uh, the entire story. Definitely plus by points on the targeting. The opportunity that uh, little Omar gives Ali is uh, is basically instructions to, 
kill a cop. And it's uh, specifically a cop that's collecting information from an Algerian informant. I think in reality that uh, Yasef recruited Ali to kill the informant himself. But in this version of the film, uh, he's assigned to kill the police man. Uh, I wanted to mark uh, this assassination as my number three worst tradecraft. Because when Ali's ready to to pull the trigger, he taps the cop on the shoulder. You know, like the old cowboy movies where they tap the guy on the shoulder, they turn around and he punches him. You know, like, because you can't punch a guy from behind or something. Uh, It's one of these things. But he, like, screams at him and yells out, like, this whole, like, ideology. Like, you know, this is what happens when you're a snitch type of thing, blah, blah, blah. And then he pulls the trigger. Uh... I really wanted to point out, uh, I I don't think you should scream at your target if you're trying to assassinate them. It's probably a a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, But uh, it turns out the gun is unloaded. And um, it's kind of weird. And it kind of screws up the whole thing. Uh, But we later find out that this was a plan for his recruitment to kind of test his loyalty. And uh, I think Todd and I, you you wanted to kind of discuss this. Like, was this a viable test for loyalty? Yeah. So um, Jafar's explanation doesn't match what my concern is if I'm Ali. Now, first of all, Jafar explains, and I do like this, that um, the reason we had you, we targeted the cop instead of the snitch is because if we had told you to kill the snitch and you were actually for some reason like uh, in, an informant yourself, you would have just done it. But if we told you to kill the cop and you were an informant, they wouldn't have let that happen. Right? That part makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I what I can't get to though, although I think you I yeah I think you're gonna take this to an, a good place on this, is uh why is the gun unloaded? Um, to my mind, just immediately watching it and after a little bit of reflection, uh, you know, in one situation, I mean, either way, the point is to prove Ali's loyalty. The main right. thing is to find out if he's gonna pull the trigger. Whether or not there's a bullet in the gun is kind of irrelevant. So why would you manage it in this way and pass Ali an unloaded gun? In one situation, you prove that he is willing to pull the trigger and you get a dead cop. In the other situation, (laughs) you're still, you still know that he's willing to pull the trigger, but you don't get a dead cop. Right. Uh, One thing I want to say is I I definitely like share your concern, uh, but more for a safety reason. Uh, One, because it's a cop and there's people on the street. uh, So Ali could be identified later. Number one. Number two, the gun doesn't work. The cop's got, you know, a stick probably and is trained versus Ali's just like fresh out of prison. 
Um, so that's a big concern as far as safety. But when we discuss this, like, I think what they're going for is they don't want to start shooting cops until they're ready to get the plan in motion. And, um, you know, the organization is just trying to recruit loyal people. So they don't want to ruffle any feathers because as soon as there's a dead cop on the street, there's going to be like a manhunt, right? Versus right. somebody, right? And it, like as soon as bodies start hitting the floor, there's it, there's going to get noticed, right? Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm thinking the purpose of this was one, like you had said, to determine whether or not he'll pull the trigger or he won't. Um, but it wouldn't be a good idea to draw attention to the fact that something's going on. Right. And, and so when we talked about this earlier, this is what I really liked about your thinking, because uh, soon in the film, when they start shooting cops, like they don't just like shoot like a cop here or there, like, you know, one cop on Monday and, Oh, we'll shoot another cop like two weeks from now. And then maybe another on Thursday, you know, just randomly. When they start shooting cops, it's explicitly shown in the movie. Like they're doing like a massive coordinated, like, like you would in like a, I don't know if they have clans in GTA or whatever, but (laughs) like, you know, like it's all happening on the same day. And so uh, what I think is like Jafar doesn't want that kind of bloodbath to happen until he can unleash his full bloodbath, like a massive push on one day. Right now, he just wants to find people that are willing to pull the trigger, right? But not have the bodies on the floor yet. Right. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, that was that. That makes sense to me that that helps me understand the unloaded gun um but it was it was a sticking point in my head uh next before we get to that uh bloodbath that they're planning uh i also wanted to just take a moment to talk about the um at this point you know that ali is now recruited into the inner fln circle Part of their thing seems to be that they want to uh, start punishing their own people that are morally corrupt. Uh, Remember, like, the scene where the kids beat up the drunk guy? Yeah. Uh, There was a little bit of a voiceover for this. And it it seems like they were blaming the French for, like... uh... What would you call that? Like that, that base behavior, you know, and, and we're, we're, you know, the Algerians are uh, like, you know, not all of them, but like, you know, like it's a majority of a Muslim culture. And so to have like a drunk guy on the street, that's like a big shame, I guess you would, you would think, um, you know, like, I, I guess you would think is like, kind of like a, as much as like a, an uncultured American would, you know, like, this is a big deal, uh, for them. Like, um, so their blame on kind of the deterioration of the Algerian culture is because of the French. 
Right. So, I, th- I think that's part of it. Another part of it, though, goes back to, again, like, um, uh, you know, people that can be converted, people that can be flipped, people that have vulnerabilities, you know, uh, for the French intelligence agencies to start getting information from people. We always talk about on this podcast, like, uh, our, uh, like, uh, in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. You're looking for the drunk, the guy that's got an alcohol problem. You're looking for the guy that's got a debt problem. You're, right. you're looking for the secret homosexual. You're looking for uh, the guy with a drug problem. Um, you know, someone that's got something you can leverage against them. And... Yeah, that's the C in the the big mice acronym that uh, you know intelligence education would always talk about as far as recruitment goes, which is compromise so so, something like that would definitely like that's a really good point it's it you know they're just kind of like cleaning house i guess right which i mean to my mind like in the way i've uh in my very limited understanding but i mean i i feel like i appreciate uh muslim culture as much as i possibly can in my totally uninformed way uh, but like classically in our understanding is like there's a kind of a cultural purity that they mm-hmm. seem to take like, well, not necessarily more seriously, but to uh, greater levels, you know, like cutting off people's hands for stealing, et cetera, et cetera. Right. <laughs> um that that feels i don't know kind of dirty and and to watch i i'm not a i don't like what they're doing but on a tradecraft level i think that they're also trying to you know cuz they're also looking like they're going after the pimp right right uh you know in the prostitute district uh we see ali uh verbally abusing you know a drug addict and saying Mm -hmm. like you got to clean your shit up dude and it's not i think i'm i'm i don't know that's my discussion or that's my possible tradecraft element if it's not just cultural but there's a tradecraft element to that of like like we need to not have vulnerable people that can be turned You know, that have secrets, that have problems, that have, like, you know, connections to bad shit that, like, the French could get their claws into. Right. When they do start shooting cops, again, uh, it it seems like a massive, organized, like, citywide, coordinated just massive attack, you know, and in the film we see that they're very specific about the dates and even the times of day that, uh, the events happen. And it's true that, uh, in June 20th, if you check wiki, uh, that, uh, yeah, this is right about the time that there was a very big uptick in violence in Algeria. Uh, Plus five points for I I like the way that they used their first killing 
as kind of a ruse for, you know, quote unquote witnesses to the killing to be ushered into the police station where, yeah, where they could, uh, again, make a, like a secondary attack and grab some higher caliber weapons. Yeah. It was definitely a good play to kind of, you know, that's a guerrilla tactic is using the machine to kind of feed you what you need. Um, and any book or I guess manual on guerrilla tactics that you've ever read or found or video, it's always talking about, you know, the agility of a smaller organization against the machine, like the machine's got the resources and the power uh, so what you kind of do is use them to feed what you need. It was definitely a good point on how insurgents operate, uh, as far as like climbing up the ladder rather than the big machine, uh, having to go down the ladder. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, I guess, dance. Um, but I still want to complain about the sneaks in this movie. Worst sneaks ever. Uh, like they, there was the one where the cop got stabbed mm-hmm. and like the, yeah, the yeah. guy's like, like, I don't know, probably like exactly 12 inches behind him. Like, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, w- w- can I help you? And you're an officer. Like, you'd be like, bro, what are you doing? Get off my face. Like, you know, you're, you're obviously trained for safety out in the field. Like, get get out of here. Like, what are you doing? One of the head police guys is harried by his superiors, uh, but he doesn't have, like, enough men to kind of follow up on the attacks. That's interesting. Like, you know, I, I feel like people that aren't of means, I guess, believe that those that are have an infinite amount of means. Um, and, and, it, and it really shows that, no, no, like, a lot doesn't mean infinite. Like, there is still, like... Um, uh, like a limit to those resources. Right. Um, yeah. Especially I think, I think on the lower level. That's the insurgents dilemma or, or that's their problem to solve. That's mm-hmm. a great point. Uh, you know, is to demonstrate that, that, yeah, that they're not infinitely powerful. They're more powerful than us, but they're not infinitely. There's a limit to their power. And that's what right. the insurgent seeks to demonstrate. What a great point, Dave. <laughs> uh, but you know what they start doing uh, on on Team France is setting up barbed wire and checkpoints around the the Caspa, and um, you know plus coin points on this is like containing the area. Um, the the film really shows it as like a very oppressive move, and I think in today's uh, standards, it would definitely be viewed as very oppressive. Uh, uh, but the, the purpose of this would be containing the situation, even though uh, we'll see later that it doesn't really contain the situation. <laughs> One of the reasons why it can't be contained is, um, which and this really plays on the racism or stereotyping of the Algerian slash Muslim culture. Uh, the there's a woman that's trying to get through the checkpoint and they want to like frisk her. And she's like, don't touch me. Don't touch. Well, she's screaming Arabic and you you don't get a subtitle for this. Uh, But you know, one of the other officers is like, you're not allowed to touch women. 
but we later find out that she's like hiding a gun under her garments. So the definitely plus spy points on the hidden weapons. Um, uh, you know, and this kind of leads to more continued attacks on the police. Yeah, yeah. Continued attacks on the police. And then uh, this one, um, you know, we get this little subplot. Uh I didn't I didn't exactly I didn't exactly understand it. It seemed like like the police the French police station chief of some area, it seemed like uh you know, he's he's getting yelled at by the, by his superiors like you got to stop these killings, you got to crack down and he doesn't seem to or I mean, I don't know if it's, we don't get to know a lot about him. Like I said, like he only gets a very short sequence here, but his response is to go to, you know, recruit like a bunch of his, I don't know, French socialite friends and, and use his authority to get into the Casbah late at night and do their own bombing. Uh, which I don't know. I, I, I wasn't really sure what that sequence was meant to signify. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. It just seemed to me like to maybe be meant to demonstrate that, um, you know, he feels like his hands are tied and he has to resort to, bullshit tactics in response to bullshit tactics am i making what, any what, sense I, what I really like about this is uh be- before this like counter bombing um I, like i really wanted to I, I guess we could call this like high society terrorists kind of um, yeah yeah, yeah I, re- I mean it's I... like a it's a it's like a country club that he goes to to recruit his his little cabal yeah, and the idea is that there's all these kind of like terrorist actions. Well, I guess we haven't really gotten into terrorism at this point. Well, I guess it is. Yeah, I mean, like they're killing cops. So yeah, the, and and the purpose is to get, instill fear and sway political opinion. Um, but there there hasn't been any bombings yet, I guess. So the the idea is that um, there, there's like a what is he a diplomat or is he kind of like a a police chief we, we i'm not really sure who he i is. think I, he seems to be like a police chiefy kind of guy I'm, right. I'm pretty comfortable just calling him a police chief yeah and and so it's just like our boys are be being killed you know it was kind of like uh who there, there was that lady police officer that got indicted and convicted and then one of the witnesses were murdered you know it's kind of like the the boys in blue like you know showing up for their team type of thing so like this chief he, he he's at this like high society like party and and, and starts recruiting people so it, it's you know and this goes back to like our munich uh episode where um you know uh should i forgot his name what was that uh but that guy was like a really like classy type of wealthy terrorist right you know like it's 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 not like terrorism only exists on like one side or you know the these terrible acts of violence exist on one like it, it comes back and forth it's kind of like you do this we do the you know the 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 trap of 
you know, cycling through the, you did this, I'm going to do this. Uh, oh, okay. Well I did this. So you're going to do this type of thing. Um, but one of the things is he gets like through the checkpoint because of his credentials. And I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to unpack this scene because I'm not sure what they were going for because it kind of you know felt I, I, a little out of place. As 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 I'm thinking about it right now, I I kind of have a theory. Um, I just noticed like this is actually the first bombing of civilians, right? Because you know you just mentioned like the Algerians haven't gotten into like they're shooting cops, and mm-hmm. that's you know it's it's what it is. Uh, yeah, but it's they a terrible thing to do. But they but haven't, haven't blown but they haven't yet 100. like bombed civilians. And it just now right. occurs to me that this this rogue French police chief, as we're calling him, he's actually the first person that uh, institutes like an actual what I would call an actual terrorist attack. Like he bombs, like he he explodes. Uh, a, an Algerian household within the Casbah. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't. It's actually... not just a household. It's kind of like a flats. Oh like yeah. A, oh yeah. Like it's. A, like I mean, this it, is like it, a rundown building of small apartments. Oh, the destruction like, is the destruction is massive, and yeah. and we see that. Um, now, I didn't. You know, in my research, I didn't find any evidence that this guy existed. This guy might be purely fictional and this just might, might, here's my theory might have been like a, a director's choice of, you know, cause, cause the directors were always highly interested in showing that like both sides were bad. Right. And so, because we're going to see very soon that the Muslims are going to start bombing civilians. Uh, maybe, maybe they just wanted to show and God forgive me if I've got this wrong. And it was really the French that, you know, some French rogue dude, like if this was historic, I like, I'd love to hear it. I just didn't find any evidence of it, but showing him uh, being willing to employ methods of mass destruction and terrorism against civilians, you know, French versus the Muslims first slight. I mean, it slightly justifies what comes next, which is more eye for an eye. And I use justify very loosely. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Because yeah, because nobody's clean in this movie, but I guess topic to talk about. And it's definitely, uh, you know, I, 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 as viewer discretion advised, because we're going to get in some pretty heavy topics coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not that killing cops isn't a, is a heavy, isn't a heavy topic, but like it's like, not. I like, mean, it's right. Yeah, we're we're not saying it's okay to kill cops at all. We're we're trying to like figure out what's going on, not only from a tradecraft perspective, but also as a storytelling perspective, because it's very important that we talk about the storytelling perspective because it's actually a really good back and forth on this later in the film. Right. And yeah. And at the end of this episode, for sure, I want to have that discussion with you about like, does, does do these tactics work? 
not we're not having a discussion about whether or not they're good or bad like there's no more we're not putting any moral uh emphasis on this uh we're just we're just at the end of the day at the end of the day this movie is just like you know fucking shit sucks right <laughs> and, and and people suck yeah <laughs> right. um so yeah yeah please don't please don't go out and bomb a uh, you know, please don't go and shoot a cop and say it's because I heard that Spies Like Us podcast said, like, that was a valid tactic. <laughs> right. <laughs> please. Yeah. Uh, we're coming up on my very favorite part, though, because, uh, uh, you know, we are going to start seeing some Algerians uh, plant some bombs and start. You know, so again, like, I'll just really, again, put a tick in this thing. Like, I really don't understand that whole police chief sequence, except that it might have been, like, some kind of, like, balancing act on the directors to, to like, try to keep keep making sure we both thought both sides were equally bad. Right. Um, I know that at this, I noted at this point that... Uh, you know, uh, Ali gets the message from Jeff. Oh, well, no, let's. I'm going to skip that part because that doesn't make All right, hold sense. Hold on. Let me respond. Hold on. Hold on. If we're going to. Okay, hold on. Okay. Uh, uh, both equally bad. I actually looked into the Algerian, uh, I guess, battle for independence. And uh, there's quite a bit of evidence that the French forces did really shitty stuff. Um, so the terrorist response wasn't exactly unwarranted, not that like, it's okay, but like, um, it's probably a director's choice to give us something for the audience to accept. I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. You can't go through all of the things that an enormous French military occupation colony situation would have pissed off those people and still told the entire story of this film. Like that's a whole nother story. Right. So like, it's probably like a a time constraint, I would say. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm sure just from what I've read, there's a lot of terrible things, but that's like another narrative to have to pull out. So it might have been like, all right, let's have this rogue police chief bomb innocent people, and it'll have the impact emotionally with an audience. And this is very helpful tradecraft-wise to kind of point out, because I, I, like, I'm really excited to get to uh, the press conference later. So please don't miss the press conference part. We will not miss out on the press conference, but it's going to have to wait for part two of this episode. As always, the best way to make sure you don't miss out on that is to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Google, or your favorite podcast app. Also, you can find updates on our Facebook page or website, spieslikeus.net. And please, if you can help us out, give us some feedback. We're always trying to improve the show, and your thoughts would be a big help. So last episode, our brush pass, I stated that Judas received 18 pieces of silver, but it was actually 30 pieces of silver. So I just wanted to make that correction. And please stop yelling at me. Thank you.
The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.